love with a good time in me. There you go, theme song. Yes, that is the theme song to the actual Gordon Keith Twitch stream. Oh my God, I've just done about $200 worth of damage to my guitar. Welcome. Thank you for spending your Saturday night with me. I'm Gordon Keith, and I'm joined by a very special guest tonight. On uh, This is our 100th show, and we're very happy to finally get this guy on with us. It's uh, a guy who's worked at the ticket for 20... Three years and in two months. Uh oh. And was yesterday your last day? What is today? Saturday? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. It was yesterday. Dang. It's Danny Bayless, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How have you not quit yet? Huh? Have I not quit yet? Yeah, how have you not quit yet? I have. I just haven't turned in the paperwork. I quit like about four years ago. <laughs> I didn't turn in what I needed to turn in. Um, yeah, so I guess we before we get into we're going to talk about music, and I don't even know what all we're going to talk about. We'll talk about whatever comes up. And uh, there's probably all kinds of technical problems with this Twitch stream. I know that P1s. This was I've never done this before. Just to tell you my setup, I'm using OBS, and Danny is, as you can tell, is a window capture from my FaceTime call. It's so unstable. It's ridiculous, and so I'm sure the video is laggy, And uh, but we'll fight through it, because it's just going to be fun talking, right? Yeah, I'm trying to see if... Your Twitch stream is even working. Hold on. Yeah, we need. We should yeah. probably make sure that we're on first. Yeah, we're on. Oh, we so. are. Yes. Uh, Video is great. We need Danny to be louder. Danny to be louder. All right, talk, Danny. The One, pro- two. The problem One, is, is two. we have Danny, like, the way I'm having to feed Danny back through here is ridiculous. Do you want me to up the game a tad? Yeah, you can if you want, yeah. <clears throat> One, two, three, four. Check, check. One, two. I don't know if that helps. Check, yeah. one, two. There. That that sounds great. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, why did you agree to do this on a Saturday night? I texted you yesterday. Because you told me it was going to be for 15 minutes. <laughs> well, originally it was. <laughs> I was going to like just interview you and then use it as an element in my little Twitch stream, but then you said that you were willing to do it live. Yeah, 15 minutes. Oh. I'll do 15 minutes live with you. Well, why the freak did you let me waste time doing that Waylon song? Like 30 seconds of the Waylon song. You can start the clock now. Why is this feeding back? I'm hearing this. Hold on a second. It may be. Oh, God. Is that me that's doing that? I don't know. Is this sound check part two? Oh, wait. I may have fixed it. Okay. I think I did. All right. Good. So this is your first day of retirement? Yes. Considering yesterday was my last day at work, your math is correct. And I <clears throat> I have it all on cassette tape, your last show, so I need to go back and listen to it. Did you do any big speeches or anything, or have you already did you already do that? 
I think we did that earlier in the week. When you made the announcement? Yeah, that was Wednesday. So I turned in the two weeks two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they wanted to wait until later in the, the second week to do anything. And Corby brought it up on Wednesday, and we talked about it for a couple segments, and it was, uh, it was sweet. It was very sweet. And, and is there anything that you didn't share on the air that you now can share now that you are finally free? N- nothing at all. <laughs> Everything that I think I was pretty honest on the air. And you but said, it, just to recap for those of us who may not have caught that. Mm-hmm. I said, what? Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell me what I said? No, no. I'm saying you. you oh, I was asking okay. You, to you said it. so. You said like you were about to paraphrase something that I said. No. Um, that I felt that we were, for me personally, it had been you know 23 years, and I didn't really see any sense sticking around if there was no more room for growth, and that didn't necessarily mean you know. I didn't expect to get paid ridiculous amounts of money. I, I enjoyed what I was doing for a long, long time, and I was satisfied with the money I was making. It just, <clears throat> I just felt like I'd been doing the same thing for a really long time. And, excuse me, <clears throat> just figured, you know, am I going to do this for another six, eight years? And then when that time is up, it's probably going to be around the time that everybody else up there is going to retire because we're all outside of norm all the on-air guys are generally the same age we're all hovering either uh, under or on or above 50 and if no you know there i just didn't want to keep doing the same thing for another six years Mm -hmm. and i figured well i can just stop and do other stuff and uh because by the time everybody else ends up retiring or peeling off and doing other things then I'd be ready to do that anyway, so why not just do it now? So what do you think you are going to do now? I know you got the two clubs. And yeah, the clubs are doing fine, and right. I can sustain off of that. And, you know, we've got long-term leases at both uh, both locations, so there's no reason to believe that, you know, and just unless the, the deep Ellum situation just becomes ridiculous with crime continuing and, and no solutions there and people just stop going out altogether. I don't anticipate that ending, but I mean, I've got so much music written that I would, that I'm ready to start producing and, and putting out, um, upwards of three album links worth of material of varying, um, concepts and styles. And, um, uh, I don't want to go, there's no reason to go ton into that, but, uh, on what that is, what are you doing? <laughs> what? Picture of me pointing with a motorhead uh, shirt on. I, I'm just uh, providing the visuals uh, of your new album. Yeah, it's a motorhead your, tribute. Your three album length record done in, done in the vein of young motorhead. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I've got a lot of things that I can be doing. You know, I've got a one year old uh, at home that I've been fully enjoying spending tons of time with, and I can increase that a little bit, but. I don't know. Just it'd be nice to just take a break for a while. So we need to do some podcasting. Yeah, do some podcasting. You can join yeah. me on the the Twitch stream. I've been doing that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Speaking of your the music that you've written, 
because um, you came out with Too Much Living, which was your solo album. Was that seven years ago? It was 2009. It was 13 Holy years ago. Holy mackerel. So it was quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so you've been writing this whole time? I know that after you did no, that, I remember... I was... haven't been writing at all since then. Pandemic, you know, outside of coming to work every day, like most folks, I mm-hmm. I didn't venture out other than to go pick up food. And once things kind of chilled a little bit, we'd go out and eat and stuff. But my, uh, my lifestyle changed considerably during that time. And then, ha- you know, having, expecting a child and then having a child spending a lot of time at home and then um, started getting into whatever the uh, logic pro on, on the, the MacBook DAW that they offer mm-hmm. at a nominal fee started getting into that and had a pretty good um, means to do demos and stuff. And I just started, I don't know, I don't, it, there was just an overflow of material. So yeah, I probably got 35 pieces of music that, in varying states of uh, of being finished, of completion, most of them done. Um, and yeah, that's just what I've been doing for the last two and a half years is just writing and writing and recording and recording and um, trying to find a landing spot for it. But there's some, I've got a good, I think we've got a good strategy for it. I can't talk about it really because um, there's other people involved that uh, may not want that to be out yet. So. Uh-huh. But it's yeah, I'm super excited about about getting to work on that and working with some different different artists. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I won't be I won't be sitting around in in a robe <laughs> at home for twelve. Just to be a day, out there and playing sure. and all that. So back when you recorded that solo album, I remember you and I talking shortly after that, and you you did a lot of gigs surrounding that, and then afterwards, and then I got the feeling like you were. I don't know if you were burnt out or you didn't feel as comfortable being naked and just one guy on stage or something. I just have some vague memory of you having a little bit of, um, I don't know, like like that suit didn't fit you right then anymore. And it felt like you were taking time away from writing. And obviously, I guess you did if you went a while before you started writing again. What were well, your the, feelings surrounding that? Well, I mean, that record just that was an overflow of um, putting emotions to, to paper and to tape after Carter had passed away. My best friend that, that uh, I played in bands with since 2000, the year 2000, when he died in, in 2007. Um, I don't know. There just stuff started coming up and I put it, you know, into, into songs and put that record out. And it's largely about, you know, me dealing with, you know, the grief of him in many different ways, use many different methods that, that we, we do to, to deal with grief, especially when we're in our thirties or, you know, younger before you kind of get that a little bit more emotional maturity and understand that you don't have to act like babies just because you've got emotions about something. Um, but it was me addressing that stuff kind of in a clandestine manner rather than just coming out and admitting that I'd been an asshole for two years uh, after he had passed away. Just put it put it to put it to music. And then after that, you know, I put that record out and I, man, did a handful of shows supporting it, put a band together. And yeah, like you said, the suit for me, it never really fit to be the lead guy, the lead singer, the talking to the crowd and all that stuff. It was just never something that 
really, I, I didn't ease into that at all. Um, I like being a complimentary piece and writing and, and letting other people kind of, uh, carry that more focal load, if you will. It's tough to be a, a front man and yeah, it's, it's tough to be the only guy. Like I've seen some, uh, one guy that comes to mind is uh Monty Montgomery, that incredible acoustic guitarist. And he can do mm -hmm. like solo shows and he's like an incredible guitarist. I mean, like one of the best ever. And he's also as funny as any stand-up comedian you'll ever see. It's unbelievable how he can work the crowd between songs, how he can tell a story. And I just marvel at guys that have all of those skills who can do that on stage at one time. And if you're kind yeah, of shy to that, be that character. It, it, I, that's one thing that I was never super confident in because, you know, when you, when you do that singer-songwriter kind of thing, you've got to have a pretty strong confidence in your ability to accompany just yourself. And I've never been, especially since I started playing bass when I was 19, guitar really took a secondary position as far as an instrument that I would go to, to, to try to hone. So I never felt super confident in, in my guitar playing enough to just accompany myself. And, and if you're a good songwriter and you can play guitar really well, you know, you can, you can make a good living by doing it on your own. You don't have to have a lot of, um, a, a lot of support. Um, but yeah, that just, I was never confident enough. I was a strummer, you know, terrible finger, finger picker, just strum chords. Mm -hmm. So when you sat down to play these songs at eight airs or whatever, when you're by yourself, it's just, I, it was never a, a comfortable, I just, I wanted to play bass and that would have been really odd <laughs> to have an electric bass and singing over <laughs> that. I've never seen anybody this. do that before. You know, you've had, uh, <sighs> Boy, there's so much you and I could get into here because I've known you for a long time. You obviously mm -hmm. were in the extremely early days of the ticket and worked for the ticket for 23 years. Um, and stay in with the music stuff for a while before because there are some ticket subjects I want to get into. You've had this horrible, horrible luck when it, as it comes to losing people who are close to you that have been in bands with you. Um, and I think we have a picture up. Is this on camera right now? You can see oh, the, gosh, uh, I'm, I'm not, I keep having to restart this. Oh, there's Chadwick. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Carter, you lose Carter first, who was your best friend, roommate, bandmate, mm -hmm. um, in a horrible way. And that just shocked, it shocked everyone in our community and, and yeah, for that you was especially so completely unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Because he was shot and killed and, castle doctrine situation thing that happened in East Dallas and it made a lot of news and, and, uh, he was only 30 right early thirties, wasn't he? Oh gosh. He was born in 73. So he was 34, 34. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, lately we've had this, uh, you had Chadwick died first. Yeah. Chadwick passed away last year on September 1st. And that's a picture um, of him that we're seeing yeah. here. This looks like you guys at the Kessler. Uh, yes, that appears to be so. Yeah, he uh, went into the hospital with some breathing issues. Um, took him forever to come up with a diagnosis, but he essentially went into a coma and never came out. And it was a non-COVID-related, um, mm -hmm. incredibly rare lung disease that he suffered from, and it ended up taking his life. And to add, you know, salt to the wound, his firstborn child was born a week 
before he passed away in the same oh, hospital geez. that same he was hospital. never conscious to meet him in real life. Um, and yeah, we'd played together for five and a half years mm-hmm. and, you know, every saw each other all the time, every week wrote music together, uh, hung out together. One, just one of the most beautiful souls, human beings. Um, if you, nobody's ever said a bad word about the dude and, and all of the things that are said about him, are all nice and they're all true. Mm. Yeah. And that was, that was it floored us. Yeah. That was tough. And then I'll be damned if, you know, a few months <laughs> later, uh, Trey Johnson, the singer from Sorta who Carter played in Sorta as well, passed away of a, a, a heart event that, uh, that he was addressing that he had had some issues, went to the doctor and they, I uh, told him, hey, man, you got, you know, some stuff here that if you do this, you're going to be OK. Changed his diet, was doing all the things, you know, the medication, whatever they told him to do. He was doing it straight, straight the right way, moving to uh, the Metroplex. And she went to Berkner. And these are, I think, mostly Berkner kids. Yeah, all those all those guys were from Berkner. And because uh, I played and they played and but um they didn't need an instrumentalist, so I became the frontman lead singer of a band called Pearson Arrow. And they called it Pearson Arrow because Ricky, who is now the drummer in the Buck Pets and has been for a long time, is the curly-haired dude on the left with the the the, the, the white, well, I guess there are two white Charvels. Um, <laughs> but that's Ricky, and those guys were all in high school, and we, we did, you know, we played for a few months. And this is but we did all, you know, so this believe is it or not. We we played like nothing but Slayer and Metallic. <laughs> this is Pearson Arrow. Is this Sahara Rain here? That's Pearson Arrow. That was okay. yeah, that was the first band I ever joined when I moved to moved to the Metro. OK, so what Good year is this that we're seeing here? That's amazing. What year is that? It says 85, but that was most likely 87 or late 86, early 87. I don't know if this is you guys or not. This just came up in a. No, that's not. You it. guys weren't playing as late as 2011 yeah, in that, Sahara that's Rain. Me with the goatee and the vest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about this? I saw this. What about this? On what eBay. You saw that on eBay? Could, Did you buy it? Could that be you guys? That's us. Really? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to see if I can us. pull this up. Um, hold on a second. Let me. Fade over to this and then go to, oh, dang it. Where is it? Okay. Hold on. Did you order it? No, hold on. I want to find this deal here. See if I can't. Okay. So check this out. I am going to pull up uh, this program here. All right. So. Somebody is selling this on eBay right now. Mm-hmm. $75, buy it now. Okay. And it is actually your band, right? Yeah. A four-song EP uh-huh. on cassette tape. On cassette. With, with 75 a, a bucks. Glued on, glued on tag. That, it's so bad looking, isn't it? Makes no sense. But, I, don't, I don't even remember that, but that's us. Those the, are the names of The strange of thing songs. is... It's being sold out of Mary Esther, Florida. How would anybody even know about that? We didn't never toured the East Coast. Like, how many of those tapes do you think you handed out? 
I have no idea. All right, wait. Oh, wait. I forgot to throw it up on the screen. Hold on a second. There we go. All right, so there it is. Hmm. 75 bucks your, on your eBay latency right is now. much better now by the way it's, is it? it's like two two to three seconds yeah 75 dollars very reasonable 575 shipping comes to you all the way from florida some p1 could own this tape and do you have a copy of those songs no i have nothing from back then i don't have any pictures whatever's on on the internet is the only thing i have access to has anybody when was the last time you heard those songs <clears throat> Couldn't say. Maybe I think I think maybe ten, fifteen years ago, somebody dug something up and sent it to the hard line, and they they played some stuff on the air. Are those songs on Unticket right now? Mm, I don't know. know. Mm. It's not something I actively look for. Why chase down your past? I think I, like I would look, go through. I like and, to look forward, <laughs> Gordon. I would go through and buy up all of my old stock just to keep Would it out really? of circulation. Now you can't really keep anything out of circulation these days. Let's see what else I can find here in uh in my bag of tricks. Uh sing a little bit of say no more for us. I'm not gonna do that. How about don't let your love slip away? You can list all of the titles and I won't be singing any of them. How about everything? Danny, how about we hear a little bit of Don't Need a Reason? I would like to sing our smash hit, Copyright 1990. <laughs> that was the hidden track there yeah. at the bottom. All right. And you had to wait like 10 minutes before it played, mm -hmm. so you'd fall asleep listening to it, and then it would play, and it scare the shit out of you. There you remember are. Remember those? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Look at you here. God, you've had a lot of different looks in your day yeah that was that was a long time ago gordon how many tattoos you got now you ask me that every time i see you and it's the same three okay calm down hey look at that guy can you see him mm -hmm. is he latent or is he showing up like yet? seriously two seconds if that really yeah well, i'm happy about that is that benjamin Orr? that is the great benjamin Orr right there on my shirt yeah very pretty man in his day, Ben Orr. Not me, Ben Orr. Look at that. Tell us what we're looking at, Danny. That's George Dunham playing the violin. <laughs> this he's, uh, playing, he's playing a lovely Chopin piece there. It looks so awkward the way that chord looks like it's going to rip the front off that violin. Like you're stepping on that thing and it's going to take the top off of it. How much gas do you think he has in his colon at that at that very moment? Oh, he was really complaining. You don't remember this? This was Summer Bash, I think, 2016. He was really complaining about it. About his gas? Yeah. He had a yeah. horrible, horrible he, issue. He, and there's he Bob said laughing that it was at it. Very very painful mm -hmm. and sometimes when he would release his rectal gas that it would be mixed in with particles of diarrhea. Oh, I feel so bad for and, the guy. And the stage, the, the, the aroma, the uh -huh. smell on the stage was as pungent as one could imagine. And that's the 71P base that... Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. That's me fighting through one of George's diarrhea particle farts. Huh. And what are we seeing here? <laughs> I don't know those people. <laughs> what are you doing? What are we seeing here? <laughs> Uh, look at that. That's some solo Danny. Who, Who is that dude? 
Did you just look up girls at park? No, no. This was at Summer Bash. These are P1s. Oh. What, where is your eye drawn to? To the pretzels because I'm fucking starving right are now. Are you hungry? Uh-huh. I want some pretzels and milk. That's is what this I your think. guitar? That's what I think about eating when I see that picture. This pretzels. isn't your guitar. That's you, a Grinnell. Whose is that? What's that? Whose guitar is that? That's Carter's guitar that I still have. Oh, so it is yours now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his family gave that to me. And you also have an old Guild, did you say, or Gibson? Gibson. Yeah, like a 50, I think it's a 53. One of those little um, three-quarter scale blues guitars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They sound great. What is it, like an L01 or something? I don't know what yeah, they're called. Yeah, something like that. They're real <clears throat> trashy. They sound awesome. So boxy and great for that mm-hmm. blues stuff. There's that Carter guitar uh, so again. so young. You do look young here. This is, I think, 09, I think is when this was That taken. is probably 09, yeah. Now tell, tell us what we're looking at here, Danny. That's me at Park Place, Volvo, standing next to Alexis. They needed a picture of me for their website when I was doing endorsements for them. This isn't when you purchased a new car and they do I've never owned a Lexus. The picture. I never have. Maybe oh, by the way, I got a, I got a car like yours, but you already knew that. That's right. Volkswagen. We talked about that at Ticketstock. Right. You inspired um. me. That's a great vehicle that I don't know that I should talk about too much, but it's a great vehicle. Sorry. Now tell us what we're seeing here, Danny. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what well, that is. Well, I think it's clearly labeled. That's not where I live. This is not your living room? No, it's not. Can you believe <laughs> when we grew up, that is a, Homes that, I mean, like that. At one point in my life, yes, that was my living room, but not not today. <laughs> is that the house that I live in now? Uh, no, no, I didn't like track I mean, down your my, actual home. The, the home that I live in now did they did do a big ass redo, um, and pretty much gutted it and opened it up. And the guy that that did the work is a P one. And I guess he found out that uh, that I lived here and showed me the, the before and after photos. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it's my house did not look too terribly removed from the picture that we're looking at right now. Sex. And then here you are playing golf. You had a good time at that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. You going to come back and do that? Or are you on the outs with all the guys at the ticket? Are you worried yeah, they with all, all the guys? Yeah, they all hate me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us what we're seeing here, Danny. It's a Photoshop that my friend Dan Newland did. He superimposed me over Lee Harvey Oswald getting <laughs> murdered in the basement of the police department. I wasn't actually there. Huh. I, I know it looks like I was, considering my era-specific haircut. Mm-hmm. Good Lord, that's a giant fucking hat. Well, it's a, got a shadow on the side. I know, of it, but it, it makes it look crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, it's good, though. You were very greasy in those days. Still am. There's your uh, album cover. Who did mm-hmm. the art there? Is that you? Uh, I did the the script, but the Sparrow was hand-drawn by Carter's girlfriend. Mm. Ryan. And there I did not miss a putt from three inches away. 
Oh yeah, we've been ignoring the the chat. We should probably pay attention to the chat. I just want to go over it. I saw this. Somebody mm-hmm. did this for you. That looks pretty good. You look like a like a I don't know Shooter Jennings brother. Well, I didn't realize that this was going to be thirty five <laughs> minutes of let's Google Danny. Well, it really wasn't. I just I'm. I got all impressed that I was able to actually pull up pictures on this stupid thing, so I started doing it. And there you are again. There's me. There's good Lord. Look at that. That's baby Gordy. Look how babyish I am. That is my 1989 Japanese Stratocaster. That was the only electric guitar I owned up until about three years ago, and then I went crazy. So how old are you there? Mm, good question. I think I'm. That's probably within the first ten years of the ticket, right? Were you married? Yeah. Look, looks like looks like you got a ring on. Yeah. But, and there I am again. Boy, look at the difference in aging here. <laughs> look at the, from yeah, this you, to this. You went from. <laughs> you went from something to Chris Christopherson. I know. <laughs> Busted flat in Baton Rouge. Boy, he had a string there where he wrote so many great songs. And then this is at the uh, 1999 Byron Nelson when the hard line was buying bras. Look at you there. I know it. Is that when they got... Sponsored by banned? Reebok. Was that the day that they got Yeah, I think this is the day it it all ended for us. At the Byron Nelson, but uh, I think we eventually got. Oh my got god! Where did back. you find these? I wasn't there for that, but I was definitely listening. Um, I'm fuck? not sure. Google, Google search. Why did you Google wall of PV combos? Okay, so this I pulled this up because I wanted to show you this. <laughs> these are the PVs. Some of the PVs that I have that I took <clears throat> in to Archie's Guitars in Richardson, Texas, to sell all mm-hmm. these. I'm, I'm thinning out like all this equipment that I have. and uh, So those are all yours? All of these were owned by yours truly. And they still have serious? a few of them there. Yeah, there's still a few of them there. But all of these are mine. How crazy what is that? The, what is the point? So it's strange, and you probably can identify with this, because when we were coming up, you know, you wanted your Fenders and Gibsons and you wanted that, but most of us could only afford PVs, right? So right. a lot of us started off on PV equipment. My but, first amp was an Alamo, and I graduated to a PV. Now I wish that I still had the Alamo because they're worth a million dollars. Really? I don't even know about Alamos. Yeah, they were kind of a Fender, almost damn near a lawsuit amp. They were mm-hmm. they were so much like Fenders, but they were they're a little you know their transistors were probably less expensive. They they were more affordable. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the the tone that you would get out of those, you, it's not what you wanted then, but it's what you want now. Right. And they're worth a ton of money now. Right. These um, I don't see one here, but there's a little bit tiny PV called a Decade that got mm-hmm. really popular recently because that Queens of the Stone Age dude said that that's what they recorded their first. I don't know, their last three albums on or whatever. I can't remember the lore of it. But and then they went up to like a thousand bucks for like this twenty dollar amp. It's crazy. I've still got two of them. I I forgot to take them in to Archie's. I need to take them in and sell them. I don't need them. 
you're you're obsessive when yeah. you get on something uh, as far as like the, the the type when well documented and talked about the the typewriter obsession of restoring old typewriters and as a matter of fact i am literally 12 inches from one that you gave me didn't i give you a smith corona classic 12 is that what it you says sure did is it a script sure machine did. or is it a regular it's, typeface it's, a, it's one of the portable ones it uh -huh. comes in the little case but yeah. it it's great i love it and i dude i still use it for you know sending notes to my mom and addressing envelopes to people when i actually send you know real mail oh man that makes me so happy that you're still yeah, using great. it i love that thing um but i think i mean that's i that's my observation that you, you you're very obsessive when it comes to when you get your eyes set on something you want to have 50 of them that is true and maybe you'll move on to another thing did you and stop me if I'm talking out of out of turn here, out of line. But didn't you go through a gun phase at one point, or am I wrong on that? No, no, I never went through a gun phase. Like I have guns, but I never got obsessive and collected a bunch of different ones. Um, I have. Let's see. If I was to detail my weaponry, I've got a three seven five H and H, which is a Winchester Model seventy um, version. A 375 H&H. Um, I think I have a Remington shotgun, semi-auto. No, not semi-auto. What am I talking about? Pump action. Pump, pump. And um, I've got a couple of handguns. One of them is my grandfather's old 38 that had been bored out to be a 38 Special. It was war surplus. They were real popular. As a matter of fact, it's the same kind of gun that uh, Oswald used to kill Tippett. And believe me, I did not get it because of that. I got it before I even knew that. But it was war surplus, and they went through and they nickel-plated these things and then bored them out and then sawed off the barrel and then sold them in bulk. And that's it was a real cheap gun in the day. But uh, And then I have my so, concealed carry uh -huh. that I don't speak of. Did you get When did you get your license to do that or to... Jeez, the concealed carry, and how long does it last? Fifteen years ago, or something. I'm not even sure. I think it lasted for like five years, but you don't need them anymore. Uh, I went and took that class, and I've talked about it on the air about how that was just the people in that class scared me. It was really? and these were the people who were seeking the education in order to actually carry legally at the time to conceal carry. You had to have the license at the time, and there were just a lot of people in there that did not deserve to pass that class at the end and should not have been allowed to carry a gun. I mean, there, when you do the range portion at the end of the classes, uh, there were two, three or four probably people who were like, uh, it won't work. And then they're turning the gun back towards themselves and the instructor looking at it and the instructors freaking out to put the gun down. I mean, it's just like, it was a mess. And they, and they just pushed them through? Yeah, I guess they passed them ultimately. They, you know, reprimanded them and then passed them. There was one dude who um, the the instructor, you know, at the beginning of the class says, you know, this is what we're covering. We'll go over this. This class is going to last X amount of hours. But, you know, by the time we're done, you know, then hopefully everybody will know how to use a firearm safely and know the laws surrounding guns. Uh, any, any questions? And dude raised his hand and goes, uh, yeah, um... So if we pass this, uh, we'll get our license today because I, I really need it for tonight. <laughs> like so creepy, you know. The other people had plans that they needed to be well armed for, and 
Yeah. So you said you don't need it anymore? No, you can you can conceal carry now. You can open carry, I think, now too in Texas. I mean, you can. I just... thought that was just like long guns, like rifles and, and such. No, you've always been able to open carry long guns, uh, but I th- now you can also do handguns too. So I you think. can you can walk down the street or walk into, you know, I mean, certain businesses don't allow the possession of firearms, but mm-hmm. with a holster, a visible holster showing, yeah. That you're packed. Yeah. And you can also conceal it to where if you get, you know, a cop needs to investigate you or whatever, or you're a person of interest and they lift up your shirt and you've got your 38 under your belt, Mm -hmm. that's perfectly okay as well, as long as it's legal and registered to you and whatnot. I'm pretty sure that's the the law. Because I looked into taking one of those classes probably about five years ago. It's when I moved out to Far East Dallas because um, I didn't know the neighborhood out here that well. Mm-hmm. My first week here, it was, you know, just intermittent, rapid gunfire every, every night of the week. I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't have a dog at the time. And, you know, it was just me by myself. Like, man, I, what happens if somebody busts in here or, you know. So I ended up. Uh, bought a 38 and had looked into getting, you know, the, getting my license. And that's like an eight hour class. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, you're there all damn day on a Saturday or you break mm-hmm. it up into two, two separate parts, Saturday and Sunday. I was just curious, you know, what that entailed and if you had to do that. But I mean, growing up in mainly in Texas and I mean, you're, you're a, a Mississippi kid, right? Mm-hmm. You grew up around it, right? Right. You grew up around hunting and and just firearms as a, a, a way of life. It was a culture. It was that way for me. I've, as liberal as I am, I have no issue with you know responsible legal gun ownership. No problem with it at all. I, I prefer having one. Um, I'd like to have more, you know, because there's a couple of pieces that I think would be really cool to have. I'd love to have a really good. Uh, shotgun, and I I really want one of those military spec uh, Springfield 1911 45s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know the the side pieces that they had in World War II. They still make those. Um, I'd love to have one of those, but I bought uh, a 38 revolver because I didn't want it to jam. Is it a uh, hammerless revolver thing. or? It's one. It's one of the chief specials. Uh-huh. You know, the yeah. little, like basically one that the cops would put that they'd carry in, in right. their ankle holster, mm-hmm. or or maybe it was like their their secondary you know, side piece sidearm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I keep that in a safe and in, in my bedroom. You know, but uh, I don't know. It's just it's I, it's always funny to me that that my my family up north is the the, the perception and the way people look at at firearms. They just think of the South as just everybody's walking around with, you know, like it's the old West. It, maybe in a lot of ways it is, but, but they just don't understand how, how can you even want to have a gun in your home? Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, I'm a, a probably a, a more civil rights minded person and um, more progressive in my politics, but yeah, don't take my guns away. But you're gun toting. Otherwise what? you're Sammy Sam. Dude, it's fun, man. There's nothing better. It than is fun to shoot. Firing a freaking handgun at something. All right, you ready to get serious? No. This isn't serious. I'm just showing you this anyway. You know who that is? Are you stealing yourself? Are you bracing? No, I'm just trying to take a deep breath and not have it go directly into the mic. 
So this is interesting. I want us to talk a little bit about uh, our friendship over the years when we met um, and uh, before we get into more about your life. So do you remember when we first met? Do you remember what occasion it was or where we were? The first time you and I interacted with one another? Uh Uh-huh. Was it before I started working there? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. It it must have been, right? Um, No, I don't. I honestly do not recall. But I'll probably remember once you describe it. I don't know. That's why I was asking you. I I think you sent in the rant theme song before you worked at the ticket. Yep, for sure. I did. Which And I, I, I remember, I guess when... Dunham and Miller did their contest for their theme song. I entered it and made it to second place. And that Dunham and Miller, wee, wee. Yeah, that one. I, I guess you guys still use that. Yeah, did you do the Dunham I didn't do that and one, Miller. but the guy that, that won, he did that one. I got second place. So my song that I did, which was just me going Dunham and Miller and playing parts, mm-hmm. that's now Georgie's theme whenever that's right. he pops on another show. That's right. And then Junior's, I think, was either maybe I was second or third place, and the other third place was Dunham and Miller show, Sports Talk Radio. Oh, gosh. That became yes. Junior's theme song. When oh. he, and I think that was the Hardlines doing because they thought that me and that guy got wronged. And that the other Dunham and Miller song was crap that you guys still use to this day. So they started using those two theme songs to introduce George and Craig whenever they would come on the hard line. Jeez. Which I thought was brilliant. That was such a freaking hard line Mike Reiner thing. At least we got do. use out of them. Yeah. Didn't let them die. Jeez. Okay, so, yeah, and uh, you started listening, were you mainly like a hardline P1, or were you an all-day P1, or what What shows did you gravitate to towards? Uh, you guys in the hardline, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And were we doing the rant by that time, I guess? In 94? No. No, no, we weren't doing it then. We didn't start no. the rant until 96, maybe. Yeah. 90s, maybe not even until 97. Mm-hmm. Which was our Saturday you morning did, show. Now you know what's funny? You did do like a nighttime weekend, either a Friday night or Saturday night show. Yeah, I did that for about six and months. and then I, I don't st- know what that was called. And then I started doing the, do you remember this? I was doing weeknights, like Monday through Friday, with, um, not the Sports Princess, Jennifer Smith. Did she have another yeah. name though? Or was it just I think she just went by Jennifer Smith. Jennifer Smith show. And I did yeah. that Monday through Friday. Okay. And then I would but I would also do Hardline and the Musers. I basically you just did, stayed up there yeah, all day. You did double you did double duty on their shows. You do bits for both, but the, I remember and then drank I all night. I remember listening to you at night uh-huh. on either I think it was either Friday night or Saturday night. And you'd have myriad guests on, and I remember one night, um, God, you, was it Eric Celeste that you would have on? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and maybe Walonsky and that, you know, that whole 
um, that whole group of the, the Tim Rogers, Celeste Wolanski crew <laughs> back in the day, you would have those guys on from time to time. And it, and it was, you know, it, it wasn't as, as lowbrow as the rant. It was a little more high minded, I guess yeah, at times, of course. But and I then never, we went lowbrow, which we always do. Yeah. I remember what I called in one night and I was doing impressions of your characters I called in and you guys had me on for like five minutes and I was just running through Ribby Paltz and microphone Johnson and all that stuff. It, and, and you were just like, Holy crap. It's like, I can only do impressions of other people's impressions. Yeah. Or but you were good at characters. it. You did, um, Beavis and Butthead. I remember you used to do those too. Yeah, a little bit. But I, th- I think one of the first times you and I ever hung out was at the barley house. And we sat in that first booth on the East side grill and, I was astounded at how many Miller Lights you could drink. Yeah. And how many Marlboro Light 100s you could you could choke down. Mm-hmm. Those were drinking days. Dude, they were crazy back then. Like, I, I swear to God, you and I was, I think, the, I, I really believe that was the first time you and I connected and broke down, so to speak. And we sat there for like two hours and just pounded Miller Lights. I mean, that. And it was one of those things where there wasn't like a cocktail waitress to come clean your empties. And I remember at the end of our session, we were just looking back on him, on him going, God damn, what is wrong with us? So they were all just stacked up right beside <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah. Just a, the table was just covered with, with amber bottles of, of American <laughs> lager or Pilsner or whatever it is. And, and just the ashtray overflowing like your uncle's in the 74 galaxy 500. The, uh, those drinking days, you know, when I look back on those and you've had a, what's your history with drinking? I mean, I've talked about mine before. Did you, I mean, you're a drinker. I used to be. Yeah. Do you not drink anymore? Uh, you know, it's funny. I went and got my, I haven't, I haven't been much of a drinker for about two years where normally I would drink, you know, during the week, just even if, uh, it just go out for an hour and have like two or three drinks or, or, or whatever. But yeah, just now my, uh, got my physical, my doctor, you know, they always ask you how many drinks do you have in a week? And I'm like, I mean, sometimes none mm-hmm. typically in a month I could, I could count them on one hand and it's usually maybe two. If I'm if I'm feeling bananas, I'll have, you know, Dang. five, five a month. See, I don't see how you do that. I, I don't know that I even want to start experimenting to see if I can do that or not. I know that I'm not addicted to it. I know that I'm not, you know, reliant upon alcohol to manage my personal shit or to numb anything. It's just, it was always just a social thing. That's like, if you wanted to see your friends, your friends hang out at these places and you just go to those places. And if you're there, you end up imbibing. Mm -hmm. Um, It was never anything that I was using to mask anything. It was just a habit. Yeah, it was just a it was a social habit more than a than a, a something that I've. I mean, obviously, it can become unhealthy if you're doing it to the excess where it's damaging your body and fucking with your mind and all that stuff. But uh, uh, but yeah, it was never anything. It was like I, I need I need vodka when I wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, it never was. I never had that that gene that that was uh, that way where I was dependent upon it. So you didn't drink to feel at ease or to calm your nerves or just to feel nervous. You, know, you, you would talk yourself into that, but no, you didn't need it. It was just kind of like a, like I said, it was, it was, it was a, a routine or a habit. Um, 
that uh, was more psychological than, than anything else. Right. Like, I didn't need it to, to calm the nerves to go on stage and play. It's like, I, I can't even imagine going on stage and, and playing with, heck, even after one or two, there's no way. Just no interest in that at all. You also did, uh, I remember you and I have talked about uh, therapy, and mm-hmm. when did you start going to therapy and and tackling whatever it is you wanted to tackle? Probably when I was 24, started uh, dipping my toes into that world. Um, yeah, about 24, 25. And was first there... started going to uh, see a counselor through the church that I was going to at the time before I <laughs> turned my back on all that nonsense. Gosh. I'm just kidding. It's, it's just, it's fun. Um, but yeah, I, I had, I had some things had surfaced, uh, that I wasn't a, really aware of. And it was kind of some repressed anger that I had had about, um, this is a whole nother, you know, thread, but about my father, I was angry with my dad about his role or lack of role in my life. And I was a new father at the time and started feeling and I've learned that a lot of times we overcompensate for, we either follow the patterns of our parents or we end up overcompensating and doing the complete opposite of the way they raised us if we find it to be an unfavorable upbringing. And I was one of those people that did that. It's like, I'm never leaving my son. I'm never going, you know, that guy. And I found myself being angry at him um, as, as I became a, a young father. And uh, it, it was it manifested itself into me punching a wall one time, which I'd never done in my life. I'd never hit a person or hit a wall. Hit I hit somebody in self-defense when I was nine years old. And that's mm-hmm. the only time I've ever struck another human being. And um, so it was very out of character, and it stopped me in my tracks. I was like, what the hell did I just do? And I immediately started looking into getting help. And that was the start of it. And it did a lot of work on on you know resolving learning what to do with that anger, learning what to do with that resentment and where to put it and how to manage it and how to deal with it and how to move forward. And it's been a part of my life and uh, to this day, for sure. How was it? Did you stay in it? Have you been in it continuously since then? Or has it been? No, a thing there's of... been times where I wouldn't even go for, you know, a year or two mm-hmm. years and then would jump back in and kind of like an as, as needed basis. Um, but then I, I found somebody that I, really really liked in probably 2008 and i've still see the same person to this day that's a long time it is a long time yeah she's fantastic but of course like switching therapist always kind of sucks because it's like oh i have to do all the offloading of all this information to get them caught up of you know the other one knew the whole story Uh, and now i'm gonna that's definitely a chore um which i i find if you find one that you really like and, and you feel like you get work done and you are navigating your life better as a result of it. It's great to have that person and, and you're lucky to have that person and stick with them. So what would like your emotions after, after Carter died, did it make you sad or did it make you more mad or did it make you withdrawn from everyone? Cause I remember you being, it seemed to really, um, my experiences of it was it really, darkened you for a while like you and I, I could never quite put my finger on what that was whether it was withdrawal or anger or what but it just it seemed to put you in a stupor for a while it did yeah because that, that was the first um 
death that I had ever experienced of a contemporary of somebody, you know, in my age group that I was incredibly close to and to and Carter was the closest thing that I'd ever had to uh, uh, like a real brother in my life. I have an older brother, but he's much older than me. He's 24, 25 years older than me. Um, 23, I think. So we didn't grow up together. We didn't, our relationship was, you know, holidays and maybe a, a weekend in the summer. He had his own life. Um, but Carter was, he was the closest thing that I'd ever had to a brother. So yeah, when he died it, and the, 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 the immediacy of it, the fact that it wasn't an illness that you could kind of emotionally plan for it, it happened so quickly. And then the tragedy that surrounded it and how it felt so insanely unfair. I didn't manage that at all. You know, I didn't manage that well at all. And yeah, it did put me in a dark place. And if you did run into me, it, it, it in, in all likelihood, when you ran into me, it was probably, I was probably dealing with a hangover because I did self-medicate. I will mm -hmm. admit to that for sure. You know, I, I did self-medicate quite a bit during the two years following that. What so that, that's basically how I handled it was writing music and staying up all night and, um, you know, trying to figuratively punch my way out of an emotional paper bag for two years. And did it just start lifting after yeah. time? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, kind of, I don't know, is doing a little more self-reflection and uh, uh, getting back into counseling and, and not maybe not drinking as much because I I've learned since then, obviously that the, the, the faster you deal with those things, the, the, the quicker that you can get to the pain of it and let it, let it happen. The faster you get through your grief, um, I, I put, I just put the grief off as long as possible because mm -hmm. I wasn't ready to deal with it. So yeah, anesthetizing was a, a pretty handy solution during, during those, those couple of years. But, um, no, I was functioning. I was, I was highly functioning. You know, I got a lot, a lot of stuff done. I mean, I managed to continue to, to work every day on a pretty highly rated show and contribute whatever I could. Um, but yeah, the nights were tough for sure. And so if you ran into me and I seemed dark, maybe I wasn't that dark. I was probably just tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the weird things that has happened is that we've all grown up together and because we've known each other for so long. So we've gone through all these phases of natural human development together. And when we all started off in the beginning, it's like we all hung around and, and drank and talked and that. And, and I know for me personally, it's like, I kind of completely withdrew from that scene. And so, uh, like a lot of your life, it feels like I missed cause I ended up not being very social with anyone as I had my own issues that I was dealing with. But, uh, <clears throat> but I've always appreciated the fact that when we get together, we always seem to be brothers again. It's always that way, you know, and, and it feels like a broken record for you and I. At, when, when we run into one another at, say, Ticket Stock or Summer Bash, we always pair off and it's like, damn it, we got to, I'm going to call you. We're going to get together. I'm going to come over. We're going to go do lunch. And then we see each other six months later. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, to me, this is a, a, a surrogate of, of doing that, you know. You know, it's, this, is, this is nice. It's strange. Even though there's, uh, let's see. 
How many people? 1,700 people Holy watching this. Holy mackerel, jeez. You shouldn't have yeah. told me that. Feels like it's just you and me right now. Do you need to put, pull your pants back up? Yeah, I'm going to ease my pants back up and throw the washed out, washcloth up under the desk. Um, no, the it's strange because I reached out to you a couple weeks ago on like a Friday or something. It was, I think it was, I think it was after a weekend. The, it, I, yeah. I was in studio. I, yeah, I was I was uh, in recording some stuff all that day out in Fort Worth. That's right. So it was after the compound, and mm-hmm. because at the compound, you know, we're all on the air, and you were talking to us down line, and and we were making comments about bass and everything. And I was like, ah, I really need to call Danny. I haven't talked to him in forever. And so I called you out of the blue. Uh, you didn't pick up because you were busy, but you texted me and said, Hey, you know, busy right now. Call you later. And anyway, well, we communicated back and forth a little bit. And then I had no idea what was going on at the time in that you had already, I guess, talked to management and told them that you were, wanting to leave the ticket or maybe you had put in your two weeks notice. No, it was two days after you reached out to me on a Saturday. And then I, uh, actually I'd, you know, what's funny. I'd talked to cat on Thursday and he said, Hey man, will you wait and do this on Monday? So we can just be like on a Monday and we'll get through the, the compound. Cause I don't want the guys to know about this and let them just, you know, they, it's a, a lot going on out there. We want to have a good compound. I was like, absolutely. No problem, man. I'll, I'll push it back. I'm not on a time schedule or anything like that. So, yeah. So I had talked to him, but made it official, my two weeks official, three days later on that Monday. Dang. And if we had talked, then I would have gotten the inside scoop. Oh, I wouldn't have said a word. You wouldn't have said anything to me? No. Wouldn't have let me know. Uh, Out of respect for, you know, what what he asked me to do. Right. Right. Um, So this being your first day, Mm -hmm. as... I guess you've already gone through all the emotions of it, but I can't yeah. imagine well, leaving a place them, after you know, a quarter of a century. Is, you know, what's that? You can't imagine what? Leaving a place after a quarter of a century and, and not being like, uh, I don't know, freaked out a little bit? It It's something that I've thought about, honestly, Gordon, for several years, you know, for about two years. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I have had the opportunity to kind of visualize what life would be like after it. And I've been completely at peace. Jeff asked me numerous times during that two week period, you know, have you reconsidered? Would you consider this? And I'm like, man, I think I'm good. You know, I, I feel really good about this. And, um, but I will say that I, I think that the, the connections that I've made through damn near 25 years. And I'll, I'll tell you what, man. Yeah. The, the, obviously the friendship that I have with Corby and you become so close with somebody that you work with. And, and not only that, I I love the guy so much and we're very good friends outside of work. We've, he and I have been those kind of adult friends that we go to one another with pretty serious shit. We don't really hang out a ton outside of work because you know, we, he's got kids that are growing up and about to graduate high school and whatnot. And I've got, you know, a, a, a baby, a brand new one here. So it's not like we're hanging out a ton outside of work, but it's that type of adult friendship that, you know, he'll he'll call me and say, man, my, my 15-year-old is going through this. It's like, what was it like when Josh was that age? I'm like, oh, dude, you know, it, it's like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like stuff that, that you would, like the, the really serious stuff that 
I don't know who to turn to with this, you know, and I would reach out to him for, for, for similar, similar things or, um, but like real life shit. Um, but that was, that was really tough when Corby and I were doing that segment on, I believe it was Wednesday, I guess that was, that was pretty heavy. And then I'll tell you, I, I've learned how to healthily compartmentalize a lot of emotional stuff that I, I, I know you can, you know, when you, you're, you're, when you're going through something or you're about to, you can kind of anticipate what that emotion is going to feel like. And maybe when we were younger, we'd feel the need to either block it out or anesthetize it or act out on it in some certain way. But when you can kind of identify the scenario or the, the feeling that you're about to have, or you're experiencing that feeling, the first thing is emotions. They're not going to last forever. You're not going to feel that way in all likelihood in 15 minutes from that point, much less the next day or a week from then. So I always remind myself, it's like, this really feels weird, but it's going to be fine. You're, you're, you're not going to feel like this way forever. And then I found a way to healthily compartmentalize that stuff to where I'm not ignoring it and I'm not um, suppressing it and I'm not burying it and never addressing it, but I can put it in this box for a little while and when I'm ready to, I can unpack it. And if there, if there's grief to deal with, if there's missing someone that you need to deal with, you know, I know I'm going to miss you seeing you guys on a regular basis and the connection that we've, that we've, you know, um, cultivated through, you know, as long as we've known one another, you know, those things are going to hurt. Those things are going that longing, that missing that, that stuff is going to hurt. I don't have to feel all that at one time. And I know that I will, I know there will be a day that, um, you know, when I'll be, I'll be self-reflective or something will trigger it and I'll be driving somewhere. And that's usually when it happens is when you kind of are truly alone and in a car and you can, you can just fucking weep you know, openly for 15 minutes and get it out. It's like, Oh my God, that feels so much better. Um, but I'll tell you that working next to David Mino for as long as we have and the relationship that I have developed with that guy, when I told him, and he put me, I don't think he would kill me for saying this, but when I told him that I was leaving, it, it looked like I almost lost it because it looked like I told him that your entire family died in 9-11. He, he turned ghost white and his eyes became red and, and, and they got watery. And I was like, holy shit. And that really hit me because it made me feel like this guy... This guy cares and he, he cares about me and maybe somehow whatever relationship we have, this friendship that we have has, it me it means something to him. And that, that was hard. And then seeing him on Friday and giving him a hug when I left the control room, that was, that was really hard. And, and it was a really long, really, uh, a very close, uh, embrace. And, um, and I texted a friend of mine on, 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 uh, the way out and I go, God damn it. I made it this whole two weeks and been in a really positive, great place with all of this. And I'll be damned if I'm not crying on my way to the elevator, you know? Um, but it was great. It's like, you know, it, it, we feel those emotions that me crying about that is because I invested. And if you don't, if you keep everybody at arm's length, if you don't ever connect or, or commit to being, relatable to another human being you may not ever feel those things but, but i'm glad that i did i'm glad that i that i connected with 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 david you know with corby with you 
George, you know, people that I've truly connected with. And yes, those, those tears are about the love that you shared with those people and the love that you have for those people. It's reflective of that. And those relationships, I think it's a way that we honor those relationships is by the kind of the varying degrees of guilt, of not, not guilt, grief that we, that we feel um, when there's separation of those things. And it happens when people die as well. And I think that's feeling the, 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 the hard part of that, feeling the, the, the difficult emotions about um, uh, loss or separation or death. It's, you you have to feel that stuff. You can't just jump into a bottle or or just go jump into a bed, you know, just to mask that stuff. You, go ahead and fucking feel it. Get through it. Honor that person. Honor those relationships by expressing that emotion because it's directly proportional to the connection and love that you've shared or that you have for those those people. So, yeah, it's I know that there's probably more to come. There's probably more episodes of that to come for me as, as time goes on because the ticket was more than a job, you know, it meant something and, and it meant something not because necessarily of the work, it meant something because of the people. And I didn't give a fuck about cumulus. I didn't give a fuck about working for that fucking corporation, but I gave a fuck about the men and women that I got to see every day and see every week and talk to and relate to and laugh with and create with that's that's what it was about that's why i stayed as long as i did bob asked me he was like i can't believe what you're getting paid i can't believe you didn't leave you know 10 years ago it's like well the money doesn't matter what matters is these people and that's you know that's that that's what the that's what the station's meant to me and the byproduct of that byproduct of that are all of these comments that are scrolling up and down and i don't have my glasses on so i can't read any of them but i know that there are people this is a fraction of the people that um, that that feel we may not know most of them, you know, by by name or never met them, but we know them because they're us. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. if they weren't just like us, they wouldn't be listening. Right. They find connection in what we do. So they're no different than than us. And I guarantee you, if we met every single one of these motherfuckers on here right now. We'd be like, dude, you're like the coolest person in the world. Let's go hang out. Maybe not all of them. At your Mister Butt stuff, I don't know if I want to hang out with Mister Butt stuff seventy six. Uh-huh. Uh, he he looks, <laughs> yeah, he's us. I'm sorry, I know I just pontificated for a long time. No, it no, was, it, was, it, was it was beautiful. A, it was a big question. It was beautiful, and and your thoughts are heartfelt, and they're reflected by. Seems like everybody I've talked to that works up at the ticket. Anytime you get into a deep, soulful discussion, we all feel the same way, and it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not bullshit. It's something that we all feel uh, the sense of connection that we have to our coworkers and to the listeners. Um, I, I don't know when it happened. It's like at some point it just kind of kept growing to where it felt more and more like a family to me, yeah. and um, and the, you'd see the same people at road shows, and you get to know them and. And they get to be your friends and your extended family is exactly what they feel like. At your age, uh, and now that you're facing this crossroads of leaving a job that you've been at for, as I said, 23 years, is that what we figured it was? Correct. March of 99 was the first time I was on the air. So looking back at those 23 years and what you've done with your life, uh, the ticket's been a huge part of your life. 
are you what are the things that you're proud of at your age and what are the things that you go man i i, I think i fretted away this opportunity that opportunity or wished i had done this or do you not think that way because what is is probably the latter you know there's it, i think doing i think approaching or looking at life in any other way is is kind of largely a waste of time um and you can look at all of the decisions you made and go, man, I wish I'd have done that differently. But then you can also look at the, the cause and the effect of it too. And the things that maybe spring forth from something that you're not necessarily proud of that you did, or something you wish you could take back the fruits that sometimes come out of those decisions would likely in all likelihood would never have happened that end up enriching your life in ways that you would have never imagined. So I, I don't think I'd really change anything. I mean, sure. There's things that maybe I've said to people out of uh, spite or anger or, or hurt feelings or insecurity or fear um, that may have hurt other people that you'd love to have those things back. You'd love to take those things back, but that's also that butterfly, that ripple effect that maybe that person by, by you being a shithead, that person learned something about themselves, you know, on how to maybe, navigate shitheads in their lives um to have less tolerance for for that type of thing so i don't know it's i i it's it's a stupid hippie thing to say but i i think in a lot of ways all of those things are connected now it doesn't explain you know school shootings or you know <laughs> mass suicides by by cults i mean some of these things are inexplainable but even through that i'm sure people can can find um you know, something positive or different about their lives. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's a, 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 it's a philosophical whirlpool that you can just spin right. around for hours trying to figure these things out. But ultimately it goes down a drain and I don't think anybody wins. It, 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 you just end up having Twitch listeners just drop off <laughs> one by one. If we start going down the existential rabbit hole. So your oldest son is what twenty, maybe ever. I don't know at, at that time, and and uh, but I I got I got that that was early on. I got I got my head right with all of that pretty quickly, and and me and me and Josh got super super tight, and still are to this day. He's we we're the guys that call each other as grown men now when we need to talk. You know, mm -hmm. he's like one of the first people that I will call if I've got something that I need to discuss and we have that kind of relationship. So, um, but yeah, I hope to have that. I, I'd love to have that with Malcolm one day. And you know, the, the difficult thing about being an older dad and I've talked to Craig about this is when you start doing the mathematics, it, it gets, um, it can be overwhelming because you start thinking about things and it's like, ooh, I don't know if I'll see the day that my current, you know, my newest, my newest son, is the, the same age as, as my oldest. I don't know. That's, uh, that's asking a lot. So yeah, you can, you can really, you can really fuck your brain by doing, doing the math, being an old dad for sure. Well, you've had one it, of the, go ahead. Go ahead. You were going to add to that. I was saying it's there, there's, there's probably, it, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact that most women can't have children when they're 54 you know, it's, uh, I don't, it's I don't know why biological know unfairness, why our flawed God made men able to still produce them. Mm -hmm. Makes no sense. The, uh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. What was the time you were maddest at me? At you? Yeah. 
I've never been mad at you. Mad? Yeah. Oh, I get frustrated. I got. I, I would get frustrated with you when you wouldn't turn in your songs on time for the time wasters. That's about as mad as I've ever gotten with you. I think. Well, do you recall something different? No, I never remember us getting in any fight. No, which is unusual because you you fought everybody. Up I there. argued with. It seemed like I got into an argument with just about everyone in the first five years of the ticket for sure. But I've changed, and I don't think you're respecting that. You're That's probably my right. quote. That's my quote. Isn't that isn't that the quote? I've changed what I've, the way I do things in the past five years, and I don't think you're respecting that. That's <laughs> yeah, one make of my it big, a, make it their problem. That's one of my big drops there. Uh-huh. All right, uh, let's see. Let's take a few uh, questions. Uh, I don't know that this live stream. I thought you've said some very beautiful stuff, Danny. By the way, and that's just further proof of why I love you. That well, I love you we, too. When we talk, we always talk about stuff like this, and I love it. Um, I, I love that we're, we're we're sitting here burying our souls, and all it is is my pig, my pig, my pig stories over uh-huh. and over and over again. Okay, let's see what I can <laughs> find here in this chat. Um, hold on, let me go to my. I've got a pop out. I mean, my, this honestly, Gordon, this yeah. conversation to the masses has got to be incredibly arduous. It might be. You I know, don't know how mo- this is I would being. Say to most people, what we're talking about right now has got to be. What are they doing? I want to hear. I want to hear Microphone Johnson and and Phil Time. That's what people want Phil to hear. Time. No one wants to hear Phil Time. You're the only dude who remembers that. Do you even remember the voice? No. What, what was it like? Do you even know the concept of Phil Time? No. I just remember he was on the hard the line. Phil Time. Because he was there to fill time. Yes. <laughs> But how did he talk? That you made up in like five minutes because I think it was on the hard line. They're like, mm-hmm. do something funny. We need something funny. We need a funny segment. Funny. Do something Go. hilarious. And uh, you're like, okay. And you came on the air and they're like, who's this? This is Phil Time. It was oh, that slow? What do you do? <laughs> I work. In business. Oh, and it was gosh. everything the most generic. Well, where did you go to college? State. State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything was so generic, but he had this cadence and pacing that was so exhausting. And See, he would always reset who you were. Like at the end of a, you'd go, you'd, you'd ask to answer a question, and then you'd go, I'm Phil Time. Uh, we know. We know who you are. But, yeah, Phil Time's sole purpose was to fill time. I miss. And it didn't exist until that point. The days when we could be that experimental to where we just had no <laughs> oh urgency yes. to get a joke the, out on the air. The, the, the esoteric characters that just came out of nowhere just to literally fill time. All right. Let's the, the, see. You had to name a guy, Phil Time. Uh, one person's asking for a live country cream spot. No. Danny's oldest son looks like Austin Butler. Who's Austin Butler? I don't know. Existential crisis talk, please. What? Uh, I would never have known what docking was without Dingu and Gordo. You want to tell everyone what docking is? I don't even think I know. Does it have to do with the foreskin? Mm Mm-hmm. 
So when one guy doesn't have one and the other does, and they put their ding-dongs together and the foreskin covers the other guy's ding-dong, is that it? Close. I think they both can be uncircumcised, though. At least that's the way I've always performed it. Well, how do you, so you just touch your dicks together and that's it? Yeah, and then use each other's foreskin as a sleeve, but let's not get into it. Uh, comment about Camus. No. Um, <laughs> there's got to be something here for us. Is Gordon in the Oswald tub? No. Here's one. You kiss dicks. Let, let's talk about that. We only have eight these minutes com- left. These comments are terrible. I know. So I, I was like all they, they worried. Were, they that, were so much better during our sound check. I was all worried that while we were talking, like uh, great questions were going by and that we were missing a lot of stuff. But uh-uh. I guess it's not. Buffoonery. They're doing their own show because they're bored with what we're talking about. That's exactly what this is. This is the control room with me and Mino <laughs> while Bob's talking about soccer. Uh, we're, we're just in there just doing our own thing. All right. right. I'm trying to find something. Can we get you? Oh, somebody asked earlier about uh, the names of your bars. Like they wanted to know. They're both named the same thing. One's in Dallas and one's in Fort Worth. Twilight Lounge, L-I-T-E. Twilight Lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny, tell us about your turkey of wood. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? I think I did a Thanksgiving song where the the singer of the song said that turkey tasted like wood. Okay. I think that's it. Favorite bass guitar of all time. Uh, that's a good one. Oh, we're getting back to music here. I think that the, the precision bass is the bass. That is the, the industry standard, yes. right? Yes. Yes. The, the Holy Grail. And it is shocking that that is the first electric bass. Now they did change the design of it a few years into it, but mm-hmm. but still the first electric bass is still the standard bass, which I think is amazing. Yeah, um, it is. In, in, yeah, and they've tried tricking them up over the years, but, yeah, that's why everybody wants the old ones. That's why the old ones are worth so much freaking money. I, I But I agree with you, yeah. I think anything from... Early 60s to early 70s are just phenomenal. Is there any girl that you were once in love with that you still are kind of in love with? No. You fall out of love. Once you're out of love, they become a regular person once again, right? Well, I mean, it, yeah, it just fades. Mm-hmm. You don't, I don't, I don't, there's, yeah, because look, if you, if you pine for someone and, and continue to pine for someone, and you're not together, you're not together because she doesn't want to be with you. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. You let that fade. What about your high school sweetheart? Do you know what's what ever happened to her? My what happened to your high school sweetheart? I didn't have one. You were in a small high school, right? Yeah. I didn't I didn't have a girlfriend until I moved here. When did you lose your virginity? 17? Almost 18? Yeah, you know, they almost, say that, that was almost eighteen. They say kids are losing it later these days. Like yeah, uh, the I age is that. creeping up. Mm-hmm. I guess because people socialize online, don't see each other in real life as much. Yeah, they send each other pics of their privates and. Have you ever do done it, that? Do you ever send themselves, a, I guess. sent a picture of your rooster? 
have I sent a picture of my rooster? <laughs> no, I haven't. Just my butthole. I send a lot of butthole pics. Like every day. You're going to do one of those my, massive... My mom is fed up with them. Time lapses of your... How it's changed over the years, you know, day by day, the way some people do those with kids, you know, and so. Keeps growing more and more. 20 years. Looks like the label on a pair of Fruit of the Looms. Oh my gosh. Remember when Davies? Yes, he should have never told that story. Described it as the label on a pair of, pair of underwear. He had hemorrhoids and he said it looked like a grape cluster down there. (laughs) The worst visual ever. Just stick in someone's mind. Um, the, how how many people were in your graduating class? 34, 35. And this was in Knox City? Yeah. That's where you were when you graduated. See, you, I think, have the most fascinating life of anyone at the ticket. Because you came from, like, these small areas. You had a, you were adopted, right? Mm-hmm. And you grew up yeah. in foster homes the first year of your life. Ten months. So. First ten months of your life. You were in a series of foster homes. You get adopted. Your adopted parents were older, right? Yes. My mom was 41, 42, 41. Yeah, and my dad was 35. And you guys were moved around a lot. Was your dad military? Yeah, uh, Navy. So how many different places did you live in before you graduated? I think I replied to Davey's tweet when you guys were doing that segment on the Musers about all the the, mm-hmm. the houses that you lived in. And uh, I think out of all of the principal players in that, I think I won. It, but, it was, but it wasn't by much. I, I think um, by the time I had settled in Knox City, which would have been the fifth grade, I believe that we lived at around 12 places before I was 10. Dang. Something like that. That's a lot. Yeah. Quite a bit. Did you have a, do you remember having any trauma around those moves or was it just the background noise of your life was moving? I don't recall any emotional trauma as a result of that. It, it seemed like it was pretty much the soundtrack, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, background noise of, of it's just the way it was. I did, you know what, we, when we lived in Memphis, those are some of the best memories that I have of childhood because we did live in Memphis for probably the longest period of time before we settled in Texas and I settled in Knox City. Um, but those are probably the best memories. So I think, yeah, moving from there, that was, that, that sucked because I really liked it there. I've driven back through when, whenever I've gone to Nashville or to the East Coast, I've driven through Memphis and gone by my childhood home and, uh, driven in that neighborhood and always, you know, slow down in front of the house. Mm-hmm. 1990 Pamela Drive. How long did you live there? Three years, two and a half, three years. <laughs> so I say the longest time. It sounds like, you know, you're thinking, oh, 10 years. It's like, no, it's like two and a half, three years, maybe. And Kindergarten, so, but, but, first grade. Yeah, and that's that's a real prime time for great memories, too, there, that age. Oh, yeah, because they're kind of like your first yeah. real, colorful, vibrant memories. I mean, it, it, where, where you can actually, your memories are actually long-form videos rather than just the snapshots right. that you have for maybe when you're three or four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your first, first memory? You ever figured that out? Like, what is the first thing you remember in your life? I, I, I think for the longest time, I thought it was, um, 
I thought it was being at my grandparents and having to do to go somewhere because of a, a of a tornado that was coming. But I also believe that that memory might have been suggested. So I don't really recall. I don't know what my mm-hmm. first memory because I would have been way too young to to have that clear of a of a memory. I think a lot of our earliest memories can be suggested to us because they're told to right. us from when we're the as young as we are, and we develop that that very clear image of the description that's given to us mm-hmm. that we kind of believe them to be our first our POV experience of of that, but they're not necessarily that. I think we'd be shocked at how many false memories we have, or at least not exactly I, accurate memories we have. Know, I, I, and I think those things can happen as we. Um, as we grow out of that, even like when we're six, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. I, I fully believe that. All right, and who's your favorite bass player of all time? Jamerson. It's yeah, it's it's Jamerson is probably my favorite to like listen to and try to figure out. But I would say the one that probably influenced me the most as far as where I the way I play now is probably uh, Duck Dunn from uh, uh-huh. the M, from the MGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just his simplistic yet funky approach. You could do what he does, you know, where Jamerson is like on another level where there's a lot of, um, a lot that goes into that. That, that was, that was a gift. That was, that was one of those, like he was, that was like Stevie Wonder good. So you, freaks he was me kind out of that he played with that one way. finger. Like the hook, the hook. I mean, I just don't understand how you play with one finger, did all that stuff. I've tried it, and you can do it, but it is really hard. Uh 